Hello, everyone. My name is Jack Nolan, and and welcome back to another episode. Join Brian Nolan as he interviews Michael Sheehan, who is nationally recognized as one of America's leading communications trainers and strategists. And by the way, Michael is also a person who who stutters. He has coached more presidents, vice presidents, first ladies, cabinet secretaries, governors, mayors, and 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 members of Congress than anyone else in in the country. He is also President Biden's speech coach. Michael shares his personal journey as a person who who who. Who, who, who stutters and how he has come to make peace with it, shed the the burden. He he says, if if there is a, is a, is a problem, it's going to be the listener's problem, not mine. Welcome to the Stuttering Springboard, a podcast put on by the Nolan Stuttering Foundation. We are focused on helping young people spring, young people who stutter, spring to the next level in life um, and educate the population on what it means to be a person who stutters and the experiences that they have. And uh, we do that through workshops and podcasts. And uh, this podcast today is pretty special. We have a very, very special guest by the name of Michael Sheehan. Michael is uh, president of Sheehan Associates. Um, you know, his bio is so long. Uh, I'll just pull out some of the things that really, really hit me. Michael has coached more presidents, vice presidents, first ladies, cabinet secretaries, governors, mayors, and members of Congress than anyone else in the country. That's significant. He. He trains corporate CEOs, policymakers, uh, political leaders, as I said. He's, he's been doing that for some 30 years. Um, he's considered one of America's leading communication trainers and strategists. His expertise embraces every format. Um, and I was really interested to learn what the New York Magazine dubbed the Sheehan effect. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. He is a graduate of Georgetown University, um, GW, by the way, grad school. And he has an MFA from the Yale School of Drama. All really, really good stuff. Welcome, Michael. Thank you. We're honored to have you today. Pleased to be here. Uh, so what's this uh, Sheehan effect? Um, I, I'm cool. Oh, 
Michael's a person who stutters uh, and he's also known as the best communicator coach. So this is gonna be very, very interesting. Mike, what's the Sheen effect? Um, it's what happens if you stay in the business for 30 years and work with a lot of people like you just referred to. Uh, what a very kind reporter at New York Magazine gave me the label of just has to do with my being brought into situations and not just in politics, but in government and public affairs, sports, entertainment, uh, to work with people. And again, it's not speech therapy that I work at. This is communications. So to work with them on their public speaking, work on them on their media interviews and the content that goes within. Um, and from what I'm told, people come out of it slightly improved and slightly more effective at what they do. And hence uh, they label it the Sheehan effect, but uh, it's a compliment and I'm very, very grateful for it. Also, it gives me something I have to live up to. So sure does. I can't have an off day. Uh, you know, we, we talk in our in our groups about um, what what is communication, what what is good communication, and um, you know people who stutter think that they're they're terrible communicators, um, but we can all note a lot of people who waste words and they talk fluently but senselessly. What what would you say are the key elements of effective communication? Well, work backwards. What's the, what's the goal of it? What's the desired outcome of it? And it's to say something and to demonstrate something in a way that the viewer, the listener is open to, considers, hopefully agrees, and even if they don't agree to understand why you felt that way, and hopefully elicit uh, the reaction that you want. I compare it back to my days in the theater where I was a producer and a, a director. And you get a script and you rehearse actors who will interact and speak in order to elicit the reaction from the audience that they're seeking and that is there in the text. So are they supposed, is the audience supposed to laugh? Are they supposed to cry? Are they supposed to be pensive? Or are they supposed to be repulsed? How do you get the reaction you want? Really, the rest is detail. Didn't mean to quote Shakespeare there, but the rest is detail. <laughs> well, but so if if you're a person who stutters and has difficulty getting out words um, and the audience is sort of watching you, maybe confused, um, what what do you recommend to a person who stutters to, to break that barrier and make communication happen? <laughs> You just asked me a multifaceted. I know I did. Question. I know. So I'm so sorry. You get a multifaceted answer. You kind of tap into something that I used when I was younger to deal with my stutter. Uh, you know, it may pop out this afternoon. I've always found that uh, when I'm supposed to stutter, like when I went into a speech therapy class in grad school, I didn't. And when I wasn't supposed to, I did. So. Right. We'll see what happens today. Um, but when I got to high school, I have to actually go into my history if that's okay. Please, please. My, I can't remember when my stutter emerged, but I know by third and fourth grade, I had it a full scale. I went to a little tiny Catholic grammar school in New York City. 
and let's see, I got out of, uh, I went into high school in 1965. I was from a relatively modest background. So the idea of speech therapy was absolutely foreign to us and was foreign to my grammar school. And even when I went to high school, the idea, although I went to a very nice high school in, in New York City, Xavier High School, it's still there, run by the Jesuits. To them, the idea of speech therapy was just, it was not on the table. Now, this is in 1965. I hope I don't sound too old. Not at all. But it did occur to me that since I went to an all-boys high school, the only way I was ever going to get a date is if I was able to call a girl on the phone and get it out. So I had to do something about it fast. So the only option that seemed open to me was to join the speech and debate clubs there at the teams at Xavier, which I did. Now, there I was confounded. That <laughs> was, was a brave move. That was a brave um, move. You know, one could say that. I just looked at it like I didn't have a choice. If I wanted a date, I better figure out what to do about this. So I simply looked at it as the primal urge to meet a girl. Did it work? Did you get a date? Yes, I did. But let me confess on how it happened. I stumbled into something that I know many other stutterers have. And it's not just voice substitution, which is a short-term and probably not the best way to deal with it, although it's a short-term band-aid. I found that if I slightly altered my voice, spoke more formally, or just tried to change the pitch of it, just like if you sing, you tend not to stutter. So if I started when I was speaking in my normal voice like this, I found that if I made myself a little bit more formal and sort of hyper-pronounced and just made it as if I were a uh, British expatriate, I didn't stutter. Uh, later, when I started to get involved in drama, when I spoke in the character's voice affecting some kind of a tone or some kind of an accent, uh, I didn't stutter, or some kind of an accent, I didn't stutter. Those things kind of merged down the line where I stuttered less and less, but still do. Um, and the voices became one. Um, I know it's not a recommended path. I don't recommend it. But when you're trying to get a date, you know, mm. <laughs> any tool will do. And that's really how, I, how it started. Mm. You know, every it seems like everybody who stutters has their own path towards whatever it is, I, I, I used to use visualization, mm -hmm. you know, cause I, I, I always say when you're young and you stutter, you visualize things going bad before it happens. So therefore it goes bad. Yeah. Right. And it, it's like, you, you, so I, I, when I got into, um, I guess high, late high school and college, I started to present and get a, a coach on visualizing success, um, mm -hmm. which is why I, I now have a speech coach who helps me visualize and see it before it happens yeah I, I remember when I went to graduate school up at the Yale School of Drama and I was a student full-time student at Yale they had speech therapy available to me and I remember very clearly what happened so this is my third year of grad school and I was about to go into the working world I had a job to come back to Washington DC and be the associate producer of the Folger Theater 
few months before I graduated, I got on the phone with a fellow by the name of Bernie Gerstein, and only old New Yorkers will remember. He was the associate producer for Joseph Papp down at the Public Theater, and he was my role model. He was my mentor. And as I was getting closer to graduation, I gave him a call, and my stutter just came roaring back like mm. I hadn't experienced it by second or third grade. And this is with somebody that I knew I was comfortable with and who knew me was comfortable with me. And it just came flooding back, I think worse than when I was young. So I said, I've only got a couple of months to deal with this. So I was able to go to the Yale Health Service and enroll in a stuttering program. I was supposed to be in group sessions, but of course I go to the group session and I don't stutter at all. Right. <laughs> And so the other members of the going, hey, what's this? What are you doing here? Get the hell out of here. We need the speech therapist knew exactly what was going on. So he and I had several individual sessions where he taught me some techniques and right. gave me some skills that I do occasionally call upon even now. But I do remember when it just came roaring back and it was, you know, like Friday the 13th, you think you know, Jason is dead, but they pop back to life with a bigger sword or a bigger knife. Um, mm. So that number, that, that memory is still fresh. It's and and, and fresh it's paralyzing. Memory. It's paralyzing, yeah. you know, because it, 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 it seems that at, at the time it's all encompassing in terms of your life and, and, and the limit and the ceiling it's going to put on what, what your capabilities are. Yeah, it's also a sense, of course, of self-consciousness. It, yeah. to me, was also a little bit of a sense of a lack of control, like when you're at the beach and you get knocked over by a wave and you're sort of spinning underneath the water and you don't know which way is up or which way is down. Um, I did find that the most pressure, not, that's not the right word, the opportunities or situations that led to my stuttering more than anything else was when there was an expectation, oh, it's going to be my turn to talk. Sure. So going to the front of the line and being asked to give my order for ice cream or how I want my hot dog, or going up to, just going up to a counter, uh, because you get that sense that you're waiting online like you're, um, you're on a death march. <laughs> you know, it's going to be your time to go to the front, or you're Marie Antoinette, and you know, when I get up on that stage, I know what's going to happen to me. Um, and still to this day, I will get little shocks of negative anticipation. Oh, it's my turn to speak. What's going to come out of my mouth first? So this is many decades later, and I still have to wrestle with that ornery demon. It, it, it just pops back up, right? Like, you know, I, I say my name, Brian Nolan, every day, 30 times a day. I was just last week, I was doing a bike tour. And at, at the start of the tour, we we're outside, it's like 15 people. He said, okay, let's go around the room and have each person say who they are and where they were. And I had a twang. I was like, huh, this is really interesting. So then I tried to practice mindfulness, this, mm -hmm. this awareness to just slow down, be in the moment, uh, which is so key. Cause if the yeah. anticipation is what really, is the is the disorder more than anything else yeah um i think that word is absolutely right on the money anticipation yeah and you <laughs> would, yeah would, would 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 be the synonym for it <laughs> um so so you coach people who stutter and people who don't 
don't stutter on communication. Yeah, but but again, I just want to make sure people, this, I am not a speech therapist. I right. don't make pretends, but as you know, there are a lot of very successful people out there who do stutter or have stuttered, will stutter again at some point, and I work with them, and you, we have yet something else in common, a common bond, a shared experience. Does, does, do you find that any of your coaching is different for, for a person who stutters, that you're coaching on public speaking, or like, let's call it a heated debate that you know they're going to go into, and you know that they might get bullied or something and and it might bring back some of the memories and may not go so well it's funny because usually i found anger helped me break through it so i never found anger being something that contributed to it more often it got me out of it just because i was furious at the person reacting or the situation that confronted me the only thing it really does and it's something that i hope infuses all of my work uh, it, you cannot help but be a stutterer and not have an immense sense of empathy. Can't help it. You know what it's like. So it's almost like a scar, but a very large scar and one that's not visible to the eye, but is in, it's in your heart and it's in your brain. Uh, let me get that out of the way. Uh, um, you know what it's like to be judged with insufficient evidence or uh, facts at hand. You know what it's like to be dismissed. You know what it's like to be looked down for before you barely finish your first sentence. Um, and that doesn't go away. Mm. And if it does go away for anyone, they should be ashamed. So so, so it's made you you, right? Yeah. Like the fact, so I, I part of my uh, keynote, I had disclosed that I stutter to a whole group and it was it was I was doing it on the mental mindset of a leader and nothing is either good or bad it's our thinking that makes it so mm -hmm. and you know I told about seventh grade trying to give a presentation really bad right really 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 bad now I'm 60 years old I I reflect on it and I said I would never have started a foundation I wouldn't have empathy I probably wouldn't be a coach I probably wouldn't be speaking in front of you if I didn't stutter yeah Oh, uh, I know a very few successful people who are stutterers who don't say to a very large degree, I wouldn't be where I am doing what I do the way I do it if it weren't for my stutter. Now, it's really strange because it's not like when I popped out of my mother, I said, hey, among the things you gave me, you please give me a stutter. So I'm not sure. I mean, to be honest, you know, yeah, you don't you love don't it. Want it, but you know you recognize it played a role and a very important role and a, and a role that I don't think ever go, goes away. So, so it, I, I mean, I, I can say with a straight face, I probably would not be here talking to you with the in introduction you gave if I hadn't been a stutterer and still I'm a stutterer. You know, you made me think of something because remember my currency is words. Words are important to me. It is, you know, it is the paint if I were a painter or mm. an, uh, an Isn't artist. that beautiful for a person who stutters? Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. There you go. Who says God does not have a sense of humor? Right. <laughs> um, the difference between I'm a stutterer or I'm a person who stutters. Mm. And it makes me reflect. And I go back and forth on it. Because if I say I'm a stutterer, 
uh, I'm not ashamed of it. It's, hey, uh, I have a certain height. Uh, I have a certain ethnicity that I was born with. I had nothing to do with the fact that I'm Irish, um, Irish and Slovak. Okay, I had no control over that. That was given to me my, by my parents. My stutter comes from someplace in the same general neighborhood. So I shouldn't be proud of it and I shouldn't be embarrassed by it. So uh, I'm a certain height. Uh, I have a certain uh, coloring. It's what I am. It's who I am. So I don't know if I should be proud of it or just accept it. And so it's still a mental mind game that I do debate myself all the time. But I know how I've come, in a sense, at ease with it. I've made peace with it. I'm a person who in the past stuttered a lot. I might occasionally stutter now, and I do every once in a while because I tape a lot of the work. And when I play it back, sometimes, particularly if I'm conducting mock interviews, as the interviewer, I will hear my stutter. Well, that's me. If you want me, that comes with it. And if you don't want it, don't talk to me. Don't work with me. So as you can imagine, I, I talk to a lot of young stutters who ask me for guidance, advice, or just share right. my experience. And I said, my breakthrough, particularly when I got a little bit older, it's I'm a person who will occasionally stutter. If you don't like it, that is your problem. It is not mine. Because just like I can't be any taller from you, I can't be any shorter than you, I can't be a different ethnicity from you, it is who I am. By the way, I happen to think what I'm going to say will be of interest to you or of value to do. So if you want to stick around, that's fine. If you don't, your decision, not mine. And once you get that monkey off your back, if I could use that, that phrase, that burden, that if there's a problem, it's your problem, not mine. Um, life just gets easier to live. Well, so when you're younger, you stuttered, you probably felt shame. Oh, right? God, yes. Okay, so, so. Are you kidding? Yeah, right. Um, Terrible shame. How, I, how, how now? So now, so I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with this personally. I, so I, I like you, I, I stuttering no longer impacts my life in terms of career. It, it just defines me. And sometimes I stutter what I've, what I haven't gotten comfortable with Michael, and I'm part of my podcast series is my journey is to still be okay with my stutter. So like I, I started earlier on the podcast communicating. I was like, ah, you knucklehead, right? That, that self-talk that is, that is self self deflating. It makes no logical sense. I'm way smarter than that. Yeah. How how have you accepted that for yourself personally? I'm five ten. <laughs> There's nothing you know unless I put lifts in in my shoes. I'm not going to be six foot. So there you go. Yeah. It's this idea of massive acceptance. It's real. It, it's very easy for me to say. And I know it will be hard for others to, to do or not to agree with. But once I took, in a sense, the stutter monkey off my back and I put it on the listener's back, life just got easier for me. Let, let's talk about the listener's back. So where, when did you start disclosing to people that you stutter? 
Uh, well, <laughs> when I was younger, it was pretty obvious. When I got into my professional life, it's funny, and I'm sure many other people have this experience. I go in waves, sometimes not a stutter as far as the eye can see or the ear can hear, and sometimes more. I don't pre-announce, but if suddenly a stutter pops out of me, and by the way, this is just the way I deal with it. I'm not urging anyone else to do it. But if I can suddenly get a sense that, uh-oh, it's acting up on me, I'll simply go like, oh, gee, I guess my stutter is acting up today. Mm. I don't ask for apology. I don't ask for permission. I just make the observation, hey, it's just acting up on me today. Mm. And I continue. What, what would you recommend to, um, say, a senior in college uh, who is going to be interviewing for a job and, and has a, a more obvious stutter? Um, and it's actually, you know, stuttering on every third or fourth word. I work, I'm not, I work, I've been contacted by many such young people. And I'll give you the same answer I give them. You can make it work to your advantage. I know that sounds exploitative, and I don't mean it that way. Mm. But... Let me give you a different answer and you'll see where it applies. I work with many international CEOs and I will always get the question for them once we've established a relationship and they're a little more comfortable and they'll confide in me. They'll say, do you think my foreign accent here in the United States will be an obstacle, will be, and some people have a very thick accent. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, no. I don't think it's an obstacle because I think you will earn admiration. If I'm listening, by the way, there's a joke. You know, what do you call someone who speaks two languages? Double speak? I don't know. No, uh, bilingual. What do you oh, call someone who speaks three languages? Trilingual. What do you call someone who speaks one language? American. <laughs> and I make the point that if someone is speaking to me with an accent, they, well, although I do speak one, one or two foreign languages, they have just demonstrated to me that they are working for me. They are, they're exerting an effort. They've learned English. They're taking a very tough job, giving a long speech in a language that is not their own. And as long as I can understand most of it, or some of it, or at least a little bit of it, I admire them. And I'm grateful. They they're working hard for me. They're working harder for me than I would be working for them. So if you may, and I do think that's true. I think if somebody is working, the listener in, and trying makes not only makes allowances for it, kind of admires it. Now, I will admit there may be someone for whom their stutter is so severe or they go into facial contortion I know it could have some kind of a subconscious effect on the listener. But I think in 99% of the cases, even though the stuttering might be more than noticeable, I think there is also an admiration that this person is struggling through something that I don't have to struggle through with. Mm -hmm. So again, it's what's in your head. You have to make it 
this could be an advantage. They'll see that I really care about this, that do, do I'm could, exposing you, myself yeah. to this, even though you know the one should feel badly, quote unquote, not that you should. Um, and I think you can earn admiration. Do you coach them? Would you suggest coaching them uh, pre-interview that I'm, I'm a person who stutters and it may take me a little bit longer and it, it doesn't impact who I am? Yeah, or um, I think you can. The way that I've always done it the first time I stuttered, that's where that's when I make the reveal. But I don't think there there's anything wrong with it. Yeah, I, I think uh, the reason why I, I, I always like to ask this disclosure question is because I felt like I spent, well, I didn't feel like I did spend 40 years literally telling no one and hiding from it. And, and um, when I started to tell people, I had this amazing freedom. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Again, it's once you get the monkey off your back. Yeah. And onto someone else or Woo! just outside the room, it does make life a little bit easier. Yeah. We're running and running and running. Yeah. Um, I want to, I want you to think back a little bit to, um, to a high school. By the way, my dad went to, to the same high school, Xavier, oh, all wow. boys. Uh, he would have graduated in 1945. Um, he's, he's since passed, but he got out of there a little bit before me, so. a little bit. Yeah. He, but he loved, loved it. Um, yeah. and speaks, has spoken so, so highly of it. I'm a New York guy, Long Island, raised in Huntington, Long Island. So, okay. yeah. Um, so, you know, the big thing I, I think about and why we're doing what we're doing is, is these, uh, transitionary periods from like eighth grade to ninth grade. What, what was your first day as Xavier like? And did you know a lot of people? Um, and how, how, what, what was your perspective and how did you get through that first day experience? Um, I gotta think that one through. I don't remember it being particularly uh, off the chart in terms of severity in my stutter. I think it was probably there a little bit. I'd say on a scale of one to five, it was probably a one or a two. I do remember being called on in class and it probably jumped up to a three or a four, maybe a three. Um, I had this weird reaction as a stutterer and I would be curious if you could tell me if this is common. I've never asked anyone this. I have to go back to grammar school. If remembering grammar school, particularly when you're learning how to read, you're reading from the reader and then the teacher calls on somebody to take, you know, to take over and to take their turn. I would get called on. I would lock. Maybe I could get a first syllable out and stuttered it several times. As soon as the teacher called on the next stutter, on the next speaker, it came pouring out of me, <laughs> like at 80 miles an hour. So, Mr. Now it's not going and it was like I was vomiting. It just came pouring out of me. Um, I don't know if that's common, but I, I do remember that happening fairly frequently. If in either their meanness or their kindness, they went to the next person. Mm. Suddenly it just flew at them. You know, um, what is common, I, I, I've not, not heard that one actually, 
what is common, and you can probably relate to this, is sort of the counting of paragraphs ahead of where you, when you're going to have to read and going down, and then uh, the cold sweat that breaks out and uh, the blurriness that happens. Again, it's the anticipation of all the blockages, and then it's just awful. Um, um, I have to give credit. Both my grammar school and high school experiences, I got very little hassle from my fellow students. Maybe I was lucky. Uh, now, that was not quite the same experience with strangers or with mm -hmm. young people from other schools or other teams, but uh, I, I had a fairly supportive community. Mm -hmm. uh, not the teachers in grade school with whom I had bad experiences, but certainly in, in high school, just the communities I, I, I was part of were pretty supportive. So it helps me appreciate how important is that it is for young people, particularly to have groups like the Wolfpack or Say or any yeah. groups yeah. where they could be together because I felt so lonely sometimes yeah as a young person because i was the only person in my grammar school who stuttered and to be honest i can't remember anyone else in high school who did either as a matter of fact a really weird experience ironic experience i actually was asked to go back to xavier last week to speak to uh the student body and i spent a couple hours with the third year students so the juniors and at one point I asked, does anybody here stutter? And there were probably 200 students there and only one hand went up. So, you know, of course I looked and I said, hey, nice to meet another member of the club. But it sort of struck me, reminded me that one of the downsides can just be a feeling of isolation. No question about it. Um, you know, I'm, no one else in my family stuttered. Uh, so I just had this feeling sometimes of being an aberration. Uh, yeah. Do, do you think there may have been a couple covert stutters in the audience? Sure. There? Oh, sure. I mean, in, in which case they were, they were very good at hiding it. Yeah. But I, I bring it up only to make the point that I can certainly plug into that feeling of isolation. Totally. Loneliness. It, it, is, it is such a lonely place. And then you, you're always anticipating what's next, you know, what's going to be the, be the next experience. So, so when you were now a senior in high school and you were contemplating college, what, what role did your stutter play in your decision matrix of where should I go? And, and, and also I'm going to get into like going to a drama school. I mean, you really went all in, you went all in. Yeah. But I, the thing that I liked about speech and debate, but what I loved about theater is, if I can self-analyze myself, I want people to listen to me. Mm. I want people to hear me. Mm. It's easier with the character, but speech debate, it's really you discussing an issue, but I, I want people to hear me. I want people to see me and hear me and react to me. And I think that's the, that element, especially that drew me to theater. 
Also because you're blatantly going for a reaction. You want people to laugh or you want people to applaud or you want people to cry or you want people to be mystified or frightened or, or, or whatever the role in the plot is calling for at that time. Uh, and I guess I wanted that control. Mm. I wanted that ability mm. and I wanted that control. Wow, I mean, that, that's, that's so powerful because I, I think of this uh, inner fight that I, that I had as I was developing my confidence of myself, the fight against the shy stutterer uh, or the person pretending to be shy uh, mm. because he stuttered versus the, I, I can be something, I will do something. And, I, and these sort of breakthrough moments that you have when yourself is stronger than your stutter. Like your, mm -hmm. your, 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 your determination of what you want is, uh, is, is stronger than the uh, tendency to pull back. I, I can remember so many, did you have any, any moments like that where you're like, no, I will push through because uh, all, all the self-talk that people who stutter have, I mean, yeah. everybody has, has self-talk. Right. Mm -hmm. But we, we particularly have a lot of self-talk. Yeah. That that's like I'll say what you've been saying in your way. It's mine. The, the way I express the same idea is I'm going to make my stutter when it occurs, not my problem, somebody else's problem. But it's not right. mine. Because right. I'm just going to say it. And if you need to wait a little while, I invite you to wait. And if you don't want to wait a little while, don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. <laughs> right. It, but it's it's not my burden. Mm. It's again, I'm 5'10, can't do anything about it. You're not six um, foot. That's really too bad. It's really nice to be <laughs> six one, I gotta tell you. <laughs> um, what's the other aspect of that 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 I can address? Um, it did do things for me, positive things for me. Again, not that I'm sure I welcomed it at the time. But probably a fascination with language mm. or a fascination with formal speech giving or persuasion or debate. Because then you start to go into the, I don't want to say the science, the study of it. Mm. So I took Greek and Latin when I was in high school, uh, studied the great speeches, studied the great exchanges, the great debates and and like. And I guess one thing led to another. It's like potato chips. You know, you just you know eat a couple more, eat, eat a couple more. Learned a little more about it, observed a little more about it, uh, and that enhances both your interest and your talent in it, and your appreciation mm. for it. And suddenly, you know, speech became my partner, not my enemy. You know, I I, I love to ask this this question. I'm going to ask it sort of. In a dual way, I always like to say, if you could go back in time, what would you tell your ninth grade self now that you can look back on it? And at the same time, that reflects what, what, what would you like a ninth grade young person who stutters to, to know that you've learned in the time since then? Uh, it, it's, not, it's not a burden. It might be a challenge like walking to school when it's very windy out in that, that morning and the wind is blowing <laughs> in your face as opposed to at, at your back. But that shouldn't impede, that shouldn't distort, that shouldn't 
untrack you. You used a phrase before that I probably would, would use to my younger self. And it's a phrase that I learned also in baseball, which I played very competitively. And the phrase is sometimes used, you have to let the game come to you. Mm. You can't force the game a certain way because it usually leads to mistakes, miscalculations, or less of a, an ability. You need to let the game come to you. And then with preparation and thought and practice, good things will, will happen. And I think the other thing I'd say, but I don't know if my younger self would believe it. It's not as bad as you think. Mm. It's not as negative as you think. It's a bigger impediment to you than it is to others. Mm. Yeah, you may encounter some uncaring, unfailing, silly people in the future. They're, they're actually few. Of course, they just stand out in your memory. Mm. But the there are more nice people out there than nasty people out there. Mm. And so the wind in your face will not be as strong or as consistent as you fear it might be. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as you all know, you get such stupid advice when you're young. Like, take your time. Mm. Take a breath. Which I always want to say, oh, you think I've never thought of that before? <laughs> I know. If that took care of it, I, I, I wouldn't have. But again, that accept it. Accept it doesn't mean be lazy about it. If there's opportunities you can take to work on it the right way with organizations that you and I are both familiar with, obviously take advantage of it. But don't make it a crown of thorns. Don't make mm. it a hair shirt. Just make it something you have to, that's just part, again, you're 5'10", but all the shelves are seven feet high. Well, you just kind of have to deal with it. You know, uh, avoidance is um, probably the biggest uh, bad word. Yeah. Uh, um, and, and so whether it's avoiding saying your name because you got, you know, you excuse yourself to go to the bathroom when it's going to be, be close to your term. When, when did you, um, I'll make a sort of statement yeah. here that bold, when did you stop avoiding speaking situations and, and where, where was avoidance? I'm really intrigued on avoidance reduction therapy. There's a lot of work going on in this area now. I never, I never thought I had a chance to avoid it. Mm. Uh, that, you know, with the exception of not speaking, choosing to be silent, you got called on. In theater, somebody feeds a line, you got to respond. First affirmative speaker finishes the first negative speaker. I just constantly looked at it. This, this may not be the answer you're expecting, but there is another image that I think just describes the way I felt about it. In the movie, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. There's that scene where Butch and Sundance are trapped on the ledge. Yeah, yeah. And it's very high ledge with the roaring river below and the posse that's starting to shoot at them. Oh, yeah. And Paul Newman says, come on, we'll, we'll, we'll jump. 
And Robert Redford says, no. He goes, why not? He goes, because I can't swim. <laughs> and Paul Newman says, come on, the, for, the fall itself will probably kill you. I remember that line. And then they jump. And that's what I mean about, I got through it my way. I don't have a choice. I got to jump. Right. So what am I driving myself crazy about? I got to jump. I got to speak. I got to pick up the phone. I have to speak on the phone. I have to do this stuff. Now, obviously, sometimes I cheated and I use false tricks that I probably shouldn't have done. But I think the thing that got through me is, you know, some point you just got to do it, even if it results in a very long wait for the person and getting that look. You know, I love to talk about that look, you know, and also the way the look deteriorates because at first it's kind then it's a little impatient <laughs> and then it gets tense and then sometimes even angry and I've had experiences with all those stages mm. uh, but again I go back once I got into my head no it's not my problem it's their problem it's mm. not my burden it's their problem uh, you know if you don't jump if you don't jump um, you so, it's, you get shot. It, it, it spirals backwards, right? Yeah. It's really, this is the, the real disorder is this. Um, you don't jump and then the, the, the thing itself becomes bigger than life. Yeah. And uh, the phrase we use often is the only way out is through it. The, yeah. only way out, the only way out is through it. And so I, but I, I never would have done that as a kid. Um, so I, 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 I ask the high schoolers, college age people listening, eighth graders um, to really take heed here and understand that avoidance is not the answer. No. Um, I want to just hit one more area, then we'll let you go for your no, bunch of time. I, I, I love to talk about my stutter, so it's fine. <laughs> it's, thera I, it's therapeutic for me to this day. Same with me. I, I Doing these podcasts is one of my favorite things in the world. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what what do you believe are the most common misperceptions about people who stutter? Well, I know people who have been on advisory boards to stuttering organizations. They were, they know it was told about them that it was a mental deficiency. It was a behavioral aberrant. Um, I don't think I ever heard, although I know some people say, oh, it's a sign of stupidity or ignorance. Uh, nervousness. Oh, nervousness. Weak, just for, weakness, you know, weakness. Just for a lot. It just, yeah, nervousness, fear. And I'm still trying to figure out because I know it's not caused by fear or nervousness. Maybe it's triggered or, or exacerbated. But here's the way that I described it to myself. You can tell me if I'm right or wrong. Uh, my stutter is a pothole on the road in front of me. Mm. There are ways I can drive around it. Mm -hmm. Word substitution, altering my voice, being the two most common ones that I like to more than anything else. Or I could drive through it. And there will be a bump. Sometimes it'll be a big bump. Sometimes it'll be a little bump. But I'm not going to fall off the edge of the cliff. 
mm. you know, there'll be, you know, a jarring effect for probably me and maybe for the listener, but then we continue the journey. Um, but the most common, I think, negative misperception is either you're afraid, you're timid, or you just, you don't have all the clubs in the golf bag that you're supposed to have. Like there's some kind of deficiency. There's That's what sort of I get so irate when I think about that, Michael. Yeah. Now, it's funny you use that word because this is the other part of the story that hasn't come up yet that I want to put on the table. There is one bad thing my stutter gave me, and that's a deep-seated anger. Hmm. Uh, and I've done my best over the years to try to control it. And I think I've done a pretty good job of it, but underneath is a fuse. Uh, that that can be lit. And when I was younger, was lit a couple of times. Mm. But it gave me a, an anger and a resentment uh, towards others. Mm. Uh, and that's the one nasty part of the gift. Yeah, because you the feel one, like... It's the one sharp edge that can cut. Well, I mean, it, 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 it would appear you have incredible self-awareness. And I'm a student of self-awareness and I speak about it. It's mindfulness. It's the ability to really, I, I call it, be the boss of your own mind and to understand that thoughts can be intrusive and they're, they're like smoke. They come and go and we don't have to necessarily own them. Mm -hmm. um, what, what I'm really interested in doing, in addition to helping young people become the best versions of, mm -hmm. of themselves is uh, to help the world Better, better understand what it means to be a person who stutters, what it is and what it isn't. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you heard, um, I did a podcast with Dr. Ingo Helbig. Helbig. No. Uh, if you get a chance, go back, listen to it mm -hmm. on the Nolan Starting Foundation. He's a neurologist at Children's Hospital uh, who uh, stutters. And um, so he, we're all part of a DNA study. My, my two boys stutter. So he's doing a very large study on um, on the sort of you know what what part of the DNA is actually impacted here and we and we talked about this this idea of what uh, triggers it that nerves do trigger it they aren't stuttering is not caused by nerves but nerves exacerbates it right um, so so it's a fascinating study and the reason why we do it doing this study is so that is that is so that stuttering can be better defined. As a as a disorder, mm -hmm. um, uh, like ADD and yeah. anxiety and various things, and not have this label. Oh, Brian stutters. He's weak, mm -hmm. and uh, people know me. There's nothing weak about me, right? Mm -hmm. But in, in fact, I'm prob probably stronger because I do stutter. Mm -hmm. um, so, because now I'm going to ask the hard question. No. <laughs> so you're oh, a com no, yeah, you're you're a communicator. You're a coach of communicators. How can you coach me to go about this? I don't mean ongoing. I mean, what message can you give me now that I, I literally want to change the world and the perception of people who stutter? Okay. Oh, so how do we communicate others or how do you- Yeah, how do we make this more um, aware how, to, the, to the population at large? 
Um, you may not like this answer. I almost wonder if we shouldn't sometimes start speeches or meetings the way they do at meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous, where you start by, hi, I'm Michael and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, I'm Michael and I stutter. Yeah. Hi, I'm Brian and yeah. I stutter. Yeah. Um, I can't swear it'll happen today, but if it does, there you go. Uh, and and then if if we found a version of that, by the way, if if I can also share the role of humor and stuttering. Right. There's a very fine line. But my point is we shouldn't take humor, not making fun, but humor out of it. I mean, there's a role for it. Um, we have seen movies with people who stutter and I abhor them uh, and they're awful. But I have to give you two quick examples because I also want to find more stutter humor because humor helps. Uh, in speaking, in speeches, if you can get a chuckle from the audience, they, they're more open to you. I was helping a young man several years ago who actually got a little bit of fame because he was his commencement, he was the commencement speaker at a major state university and got a lot of attention because the student body picked him. And he was going to do a TED speech, and I was helping him on his TED speech. And he had this great joke: if I mangle it, it's my fault, not his. He said, I was told I would have 18 minutes. To which my reaction was, great, I only need nine minutes of content. <laughs> and I thought, that's a brilliant, that's great humor. Right. And there was also this young, struggling stand-up uh, comic who's a stutterer, and he does a bit, and he does stutter during it, so I, I don't want to do it because I don't want to look like I'm, you know, sure. uh, putting on the show. But he goes, stuttering can be really helpful. If you really like suspense. And I thought that was a great. And there's because I think there's a in both those pieces of humor, there is a self-awareness and there's a comfortness and there's a gentleness. You know, a good uh, friend of mine is Phil Rosenthal, who was the creator of everything. Uh, everybody loves Raymond and now is, you know, with a feet uh, uh somebody feed Phil. And he said, the best humor has a lot of love in it. It has a lot of admiration and warmth about the topic or the person or, or the subject. And I'm just trying to find a couple more pieces of humor like that, because I think we could also use it. I, I you know, also you, demonstrate the right kind as opposed to the wrong kind. Maybe that's what I need. As I said earlier in our talk, that I, I still sort of beat myself up over a word that I don't get out. Like, oh, you know, maybe I, I need to move it into, uh, oh, there it goes again. Because uh, I'm, I'm trying to hide it, right, from people I'm talking with. So when I get a block, I'm like, oh. And because I, I just grew up thinking, I mean, I'm, again, I'm just being completely open book, thinking yeah. it was a major flaw that 
by the way, has now defined me and mm -hmm. I probably wouldn't change it, although it's been quite a journey. <laughs> yeah. yeah, understood. Yeah. How, uh, how am I going to get uh, President Biden on, on my podcast, Michael? Uh, you'll have to wait on a very long line. <laughs> uh, on the one hand, as I think you can appreciate, there are just a lot of people who want to talk to him about his stutter. Uh, there are things like the economy, uh, health care, uh, unemployment, I know. homelessness, just a lot of things he, 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 he's dealing with. But I do want anybody listening to know uh, he cares deeply and his family cares deeply. I know. I just had a very long conversation with um, his sister, Valerie. Uh, about growing up, you know, or uh, growing up by, you know, part of that was growing up with a, a stutter. Uh, they care deeply, mm -hmm. deeply. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, treasure that, that you, that you have someone who knows and, can, and uh, uh, there's some stories I can't tell, not because they're bad. If anything, they're good. Uh, but I have seen quiet moments with no cameras and no crowds. Oh, I guess everyone saw the clip about he, him and uh, Braden, um, the sure, young stutter. Absolutely. Let me just say, I've seen countless other examples of that. Mm. Yes, with young people who stutter, with older people who stutter, and also with other people of issues and problems of their own and loss of, of their own. But let me just assure everyone, that's him and he cares and he cares deeply that's great to know that's great to know michael thank you very much for your time today um we're gonna um, air this in two weeks i'll send you um, a copy and encourage everybody to get on the stuttering springboard um you'll be um you'll be podcast number 10 okay and uh we really appreciate your time and uh you know i'm i'm doing a a workshop this year and uh, Chris Anderson's coming up um, to it maybe next year in 2024 I can get get you up to uh, Philadelphia with Joe Donaher Joe and I partner together I would on be it. glad to and we we speak in front of young adults kids who are looking at the world through a lens um, and we want it we want that lens um, to be pure in terms of what they can become I would be glad to yeah thank you so much Michael Nolan Stuttering Foundations, or NSF's primary purpose is to bring young people who stutter together and help them become the best versions of themselves. We do this through programming design to help them share and navigate the unique communication and psychological challenge they experience. NSF helps prepare young people to take the next step in their lives, whether it's high school, college, or, or, or your, your career. For ideas and, and contributions to the podcast, contact us at info at nolansf.org.